and welcome once again to another evening. As always, I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram and TikTok as at another evening podcast. Hello and welcome. I am super excited uh, because I'm going to be chatting to the author of what I think is going to be one of the standout releases uh, for January. Um, if you are a fan of true crime, I'm going to say this is not a true crime story. This is not nonfiction. But this is a story that is presented to us as a true crime being investigated. And it is, it's so well written that for a moment, I really did forget that this is fictional. The book is Rabbit Hole. The author is Kate Brody. And oh my goodness, I have so many questions about this novel. I cannot even tell you I was gripped by it. Um, also, as someone who quite often delves into Reddit when it comes to true crime, this was a very interesting read. This really made me evaluate some of the things I read and look at, I have to say. Uh, so I cannot wait to talk to Kate and chat to her all about this book. So I'll check it out. Well, a massive hello to Kate. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. Where are you calling from, by the way? Because I know you're in the States, but I don't know where. So I'm in LA. I live in LA. Um, oh. I was just on tour in New York, but we got back last night. So I'm home. Oh, whenever people say like, oh, I live in LA or I was touring New York, I am sick with jealousy. I can't even <laughs> tell you like, and so many people I know who I've spoken with in the States, like we love England. I'm like, oh, can we just do like a holiday situation where we just swap for a little bit. I want LA I weather. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys have it? Is it nice right now in LA? Um, yeah, I mean, for LA, it's chilly. So it's about 60 today. I don't know what that is in Celsius. <laughs> it's probably much hotter. We are very cold right now. And actually, it's dry, which for the UK is unusual. It's usually just wet. But we had some mm. snow, which is very exciting for us because we're never prepared for it. I don't know if in New York, maybe you had a bit of snow if it was kind of that kind of weather over there. We did. We had a little my kids. Um, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey. So nice. I to winter but my kids are very much California kids so they were very excited about the snow until it touched them and then they were like oh it's cold yeah yeah I feel like <laughs> my kids be the same all they see is rain so I feel like they've got this really beautiful idea of snow and then when they realize that it's just hard rain <laughs> it's yes. not that exciting yeah. oh my goodness I honestly every time someone says LA that's the one place I want to visit what's your favorite thing about living in LA um, we, we've been here for four years. I still feel like I'm really new to the city. I mean, I, I'm still wowed by the, just the physical geography of it. You know, that yeah. we see these beautiful mountains and, um, the palm trees, the, the desert, it's all, um, still very exotic to me. So I love that part of it. It feels so strange, like such a strange part of the world, Can, yeah. you know, if you're not from here, I think. Yeah. And now we're going to dive in. We're going to take a step back into your writing process and we're going to talk about your book, Rabbit Hole. So firstly, it comes out this month, which does it feel real that it's coming out this month? Yeah, it's been very, it's been very surreal. Um, it just came out in the US last week. So Amazing. that's why I was in New York doing all those events. Um, it's very, I, I mean, it's, you know, a dream come true in many ways, like walking into bookstores and seeing it there on the shelf. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of still can't believe that people can read it. You know, it, we were working on it for so long and it was in edits for so long that when it comes out, um, 
you kind of forgot that that part was going to happen. <laughs> like, oh, this is why we did all that yeah. stuff. It's so worth <laughs> it now. So for listeners, firstly, explain Rabbit Hole. Tell us, tell listeners the story. So the premise of Rabbit Hole, um, it opens with a suicide. Teddy Angstrom's father dies by suicide on the anniversary of her sister's disappearance. And um, that sets into uh, into uh, sets a chain of events, basically in action. Teddy, going through all of his old things that he's left behind, finds that he was still investigating Angie's disappearance. And she kind of in, inadvertently um, takes on that mantle. So she starts getting into this uh, web of internet conspiracy, mostly on Reddit, um, teams up with this sort of teenage amateur sleuth, Mickey. Um, and in the process, her life starts to fall apart and deteriorate um, as she becomes sort of like re-obsessed with uh, her sister's case. So that's the the general mm. gist. Now, I am a true crime obsessive, first and foremost. I love true crime. I love thrillers as well. I love stories about crime, but there's something about true crime that I love. And I'm obviously very familiar with the Reddit holes that one finds themselves mm -hmm. in. And this made me examine myself a bit more closely at the things I read on Reddit. So where did this idea come from? Are you into true crime? Where, where did the inspiration come for this? Yeah, I think it, it, I, I was also really into true crime. Um, I had started reading a lot of historical true crime oh. and kind of classics of the genre. Um, you know, things that um, are sort of everywhere in the mainstream, like from Lizzie Borden to, you know, Halter Skelter, the like Manson murders. Um, and then I think as it as true crime began to gain steam as uh, as a cultural phenomenon, um, the crimes felt like they were getting closer to home. Like they were so recent, some of them. And uh, I also felt the quality of the writing or the production kind of drop off. There was just such a glut of true crime yeah. a few years ago. Um, and I was consuming all of it sort of indiscriminately. Like it wasn't, mm. at one point I was watching these documentaries um, and it occurred to me, that it had become just salacious. Like I was just taking it in sort of without thinking about it. There was no real like critical. It was like just sticking on a drama in the background, just chucking on yeah. something on telly. Yeah. Totally. Like to fold laundry and it would be a murder that happened six months ago. And so yeah. then I started kind of questioning myself like, wow, this is a little weird that I've gotten so desensitized mm. to um, this amount of kind of violence and suffering but I think also that's built into the genre. There was something so hyper produced about the true crime that was coming out. True. Yeah. That yeah. it was hard to remember that it was real. I mean, like that is the appeal of it, um, that it actually happened, but also it starts to feel so slick and yeah. so shiny and tidy. Um, that I think as a fiction writer too, I recognize so many fictional elements. Like I could see that there was a narrative that was being shaped. It didn't resemble real life. It wasn't kind of messy and contradictory. Um, so that was kind of the entry point. I, I think I just started to question my own interest in the genre. And then for me, the kind of natural place to start is, okay, then if, um, you know, if, how do I flip my my perspective? So then Teddy, um, being part of this family that is 
the subject of that kind of scrutiny is immediately interesting. Like, what would it feel like to be on that side of it? Because uh, families use that media interest to their benefit, mm. you know, to like gain resources and police attention. Um, but also, I could I was starting to see how it could curdle into something else. How that that amount of interest um, could curdle into something a little bit more sinister. Yeah. And so that became the the real uh, like meat of the the plot where, you know, thinking about these people on Reddit who might be discussing her Teddy's family, her father, yeah. her sister's disappearance um, and speculating really wildly and without any concern for the truth or the people on the other side of it. And that's the interesting thing is is as you were saying kind of we consume this media there's always a family and friends and people who knew that person knew those people and actually that for me when the the dharma kind of drama came out and they'd almost made this mm -hmm. kind of show about it i actually felt very uncomfortable watching that that was kind of the first yeah. time i watched something and i thought oh, i'll put it on and that was like the first time I, hit me, I thought these are real people their families could be watching this being acted out in real time not mm -hmm. like a reenactment where you usually don't see anything or but actually watching it live happening. And I think that's the bit you forget, isn't it? That there's always a, there's another side of it that I think gets, like you say, when you've got these beautiful, slick productions, you might have the family talking, but it's the aftermath, isn't it? Right. And I, I think it's tied to the rise of the internet in some ways mm. too. It feels very similar um, to how we talk about kind of everything online now, <laughs> like that uh, you assume if, I mean, I'm, I've encountered this like recently with, with the book, um, right. people talking about the book as though I live in a separate universe, yes. you know, like they obviously, um, don't, don't think I'll ever see it. Um, which is just, I guess it's interesting to me that we, we assume we're in our own worlds yeah. and it kind of anonymous, um, but really we're so interconnected and, yeah. um, I think the way we've all trained ourselves to interact online has increased that depersonalization, that sense that I'm the only real person and everyone else is like a paper doll. Um, yeah. And I can comment on absolutely anything I want or, um, you know, create a, like a show about somebody murdering his kids and that's fine it doesn't really matter um that person will probably never see it because the world is vast and the internet is large yeah. instead of um feeling the opposite that in fact the world's smaller now we have the internet yeah, yeah. absolutely i think i read once uh I, it might have been a true crime instagram or on a podcast and someone had written the most boring ones are the ones where there's no outcome and someone's just gone missing and you don't right. find out what happens and I remember reading that thinking, I mean, I, I probably felt that myself. You're like, oh, there's no resolution. There's no answer. I don't know what happens here. And then there's the flip side. The family don't know what happens. And I'm curious whether that was always a choice that you knew you were going to make, that this was going to be an unsolved case. I think um, I, I did feel like I, I didn't want to give in to 
um, well, what's, what's going to be like the satisfying conclusion to the story? Yeah. And even to start with, when you kind of had, there's nobody at the very start, we don't know what's happened to Angie. Did you always know she'd be kind of a a missing as opposed to murdered? Yeah, I did. Cause I think, um, that also is an interesting kind of loss for me. Like I've, I've experienced loss and grief. I think like everyone has, Um, but that kind of loss I've never really dealt with, you know, where I'm sure there is a kind of hope that just dwindles slowly. Right. And you, you have to kind of assume that you're never going to see her again, but there's no moment where you touch a body. I mean, I think Teddy talks about it in the first couple pages of the book, um, being jealous of her mom for identifying her father's body, because they both know what that means, right. To be able to to touch it and look at it and know this is it. He's gone um, and we know he's gone. And there's not going to be some period of days where we kind of hope he's coming back. Um, and then one day we wake up and realize that he's not because um, they have dealt with that with Angie. So the the two losses, I, I wanted them to kind of contrast each other as well because um, Teddy's family, I think, has sort of been in this paralysis. Angie's yeah. been gone for 10 years. Teddy's still working at the school where she, uh, the school she attended. She's living at home with her parents. Her dad has kind of fallen back into his old drug use. Her mom is just kind of, you know, pretending she can't see any of it. Um, and they haven't really moved forward over the last 10 years. And I think that's because of that specific, that because it's a disappearance, that specific kind yeah. of loss. And then Teddy's father's suicide, on the other hand, really kind of jolts them all awake because mm. it it um, forces a reckoning. It's the kind of thing you have to grapple with. You yeah. can't leave all his stuff. He's not coming back for it. You can't tell yourself he is. So Teddy has to dig into it. Yeah. And in this book, I mean, there are scenes that are very difficult and graphic. And I would say you don't shy away from some of the things that Teddy experiences in this. They are very difficult. How was that for you to write? Oh, I love writing that stuff. Really? Uh, yeah. I don't want to give anything away, but there's obviously, I mentioned Bill, so you know what I mean. Yeah. There's scenes in there that I was like, oh, I need to go take a minute. I need to just go and shut <laughs> this book. I need to go and touch some grass and just take a minute. And you enjoy writing that. That's kind of, is that the bit you I kind do. of get, really get your teeth into? Yeah, I do. I I mean, I... um. I think that's kind of like such a meaty opportunity from a writing perspective to when you have a a moment with a character and, you know, I know these are, they're tough to read and they're definitely tough to think about from a character's perspective, but the actual writing of it, when you're, uh, I'm trying to think of a way to put this, like some of the sex scenes that are, a little bit grittier um, or the scenes that um, deal with actual violence where you get to sort of look underneath these rocks that you don't look under in, in life um, and then try to paint them really accurately. Um, That is my favorite challenge is thinking about how to put words to something I haven't seen in a book before yeah um, 
and yeah I know that <laughs> do you ever have I, moments where you were like you, you read it back and you're like I wrote that <laughs> that came out of me <laughs> yeah I definitely I have moment like um my mom's book club is reading the book now and I'm a little bit concerned uh and I keep trying to tell everyone in advance like I'm okay (laughs) like I'm fine you may not be at the end of (laughs) (laughs) it's you know I I always write it assuming no one I know is ever gonna see any of that um and yeah. that's the funny thing because of course everyone who loves you is gonna want to pick this book up and read it and they'd be like wow maybe I didn't know her as well as I thought I did yeah <laughs> you must need a disclaimer at the start like these events are not related to the author right exactly <laughs> but I, I mean again you've done your job as a, a writer so you know I had to put it down and step away quite a few times to kind of just really kind of process what I'd read to some degree and also but that as a writer that's kind of your job right if people aren't if people aren't uncomfortable by reading that you maybe haven't hit the mark right yeah I would rather I mean the worst insult to me is like it was boring it was poorly written I've seen it done before if someone is like it was disgusting it repulsed me I hated it um I think this author is sick you know at least I made strong you feel feelings sick. you want some yeah, strong emotion reactions cool. yeah it's you know at the end of the day it's like little squiggly symbols on the page so the fact that you can arrange them in a way that it makes people feel anything very strongly feels like a victory to me it feels kind of like a magic trick um yeah yeah and I don't that's probably a sense of responsibility in writing this right because you're covering things that that are people out there who are going to have lived through perhaps not the exact same situation but certainly situations that will touch on that was that something you were aware of during the writing process or did that kind of come later during editing or really right up to publication was that something that kind of crossed your mind yeah no I think that was always on my mind um I wanted I I wanted it to feel true not just to the experience of you know being at the center of a true crime frenzy or or having um a loved one disappear like that is so specific but I think just to the experience of loss in general and um the you know the kind of self-destruction that Teddy engages with in the book I don't think it's that far-fetched I think a lot of it um is the the kind of thing that people are living with um that we just don't like to think about or talk about or look at so I think you know writing about grief I wanted parts of it to feel really kind of intense and uncomfortable um and I think also with you know going back to the idea of true crime part of what was disturbing to me about these like true crime narratives I was consuming was I was feeling kind of nothing or I was feeling actually titillated like um oh like that one was juicy you know I but I wasn't feeling close to the experience like nothing about it moved me um to feel as though I had lost something and that also feels like a failure of storytelling to me so Mm. with the book um I did want the reader's experience to be as close to Teddy's experience as possible. The things that she's going through that are leaving her shaken, um, 
and upset like it's it's not an easy experience but I think uh and that's therefore it shouldn't be an easy read in that case it shouldn't yeah. be an easy read if it's not an easy experience and I I completely understand what you mean you know you, this isn't a book you want people to just be sat having you know a biscuit with and being like oh yes this happened because that's yeah. you know you're you're reading pain on the page yeah I I, I mean now I think um because I'm a couple years removed from it right the way publishing yeah. works I haven't so it's not the book I would write now <laughs> and I I totally understand people who it's just not what they signed up for I was telling my husband the other day um you know it's kind of like you wouldn't hang like Saturn devouring his children above your kitchen table <laughs> right like we we can like appreciate that it's like a work of art but you don't want it in your home um and I think of the book that way a little bit like it doesn't bother me um that people want to read for pleasure and to feel good like people's lives are hard and you go to work all day and you sit down on your couch you know, I don't watch like Zodiac every night um but there are nights that I want to watch Zodiac you know there are yeah, nights that yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, give me something that's gonna yeah F me up a little bit. Um, so I think, yeah, this is in that category. It's not yeah. the like feel good viewing of your, it's not real housewives. Like there's a time. <laughs> of, it's not the Kardashians of books. Yes. <laughs> and so you said this isn't the book you would write now. So, you know, your book is going out into the world. It's out in the States, mm -hmm. it's coming out in the UK. What's next for you? How do you follow a book like this? Um, I think I, I almost do you want to write something fun now <laughs> yeah a love I, story I had written a book before this book that was um I you know I couldn't find an agent for I wrote it when I was like 22 and it just was kind of a mess and that book was also about grief and loss okay um and I think I was I needed to write a book like this like I was just working through some of these ideas and then after this book was done I felt such relief because I I felt like okay um now I can move on to something else. Yeah. So the I just wrote a draft of a new book cool. that I think is more about art and ambition. Um it had it definitely shares some DNA. There's a, a pair of sisters at the center of it. Um and it takes place in multiple timelines. So they're growing up in New Jersey and um they're in this grunge band uh Ooh. and then this act of violence kind of separates them for 10 years. And when they're reunited, one is kind of down on her luck and the other one is very successful, except that her entire career is built on her sister's stolen work. So the book, it, you know, it has some of those same elements, but I think it's much more about wanting, you know, like um, what if what if your wanting outruns your talent a little bit? Yeah. That was sort of one of the big questions. And what will book. you do to get what you want? Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna say and, if this was a true story, okay. Netflix would make a beautifully produced documentary about these sisters. Yes, <laughs> a six it would part, be so swish. The middle two episodes, you'd be like, "We didn't need those." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, "Why is this six episodes? We yeah. could have done this in two two long episodes." I love the sound. You have me at grunge band because I'm like, okay, I'm here it's for this. Yeah, oh, I love that. And it sounds like a very song. different pace for you as well to write. It sounds like it's, I mean, very different. Yeah, it feels um, very different, like a very different experience. And 
um, structurally, it's very different as well. It's not the sort of claustrophobic first person of rabbit hole. I was in that headspace for such a long time with Teddy, and this is a little bit more expansive and I'm moving between characters. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been really fun to work on. I'm very excited. Now look, we're going to step away from Teddy and we're going to see what you're going to bring to your novel evenings. So I'm very excited to see what you've got. Uh, so we're going to start off with where are we going to go for your evening? Okay. Um, if I have any kind of night to myself, um, definitely in New York, downtown, um, at a restaurant, like in the village somewhere kind of quiet where the service is really slow and you can sit in a dark little corner and they don't bother you even if you're taking ages. Ooh, I like, I'm sold. I'm that. <laughs> I'm like, although I'm one of those people that's always, I want my food immediately because I'm a bit impatient like that. But for this night, I would make an exception. Okay. They'll bring the drinks quickly. (laughs) And what cuisine would we have? That's very important. That is very important. I think um, steak freed, something kind of like old school New York and um, just like great, great drinks and French food and um, great people watching. That's the most important thing, I think. Okay, I'm there for that. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'm down. So who's the first guest that you're bringing along to our little quaint evening in the village? My favorite fictional character of like recent years is um, Yoli from All My Puny Sorrows. Have you read that book? Oh no, I've not heard of this. Tell me more. It's Miriam Taves book. It, um, I love, I reread it almost every year. It's kind of the book I wish I had written in a lot of ways. It's, <laughs> <You're> so <like> <laughs> it's uh, it follows these two sisters, um, Yoli and Elfrida, um, and Elf, uh, is a concert pianist who, um, is deeply depressed and can, keeps trying to take her own life. And Yoli, really wants her to stay and um the book doesn't sound very funny the way I'm pitching it but it is so funny and Yoli is a writer and a mom and she carries around her like novel manuscript in a grocery store bag um and has a lot of love for her sister and compassion for what she's going through um and yeah Miriam Taves just kind of renders her so beautifully on the page that I feel like I know her and that she'd just be so fun to sit around and talk sisters and writing and all things. It sounds like she needs a, a she needs a good she night. Needs a night out. Yeah. Yeah. She, she needs a good night out, some good food and a good drink. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So she's joining us. Who else is coming along? So um Elizabeth McCracken, every time she writes nonfiction, I I love her voice. She wrote the hero of this book, um, which she calls a novel but is really kind of a memoir and then rather than fiction um, yeah so she writes fiction too her fiction is great but I think the the character of Elizabeth McCracken that comes through in her nonfiction is so sardonic and funny um and also feels like she'd get along with Yoli from All My Puny Sorrows um because she her memoir is this sort of uh unself-pitying really funny 
deeply felt look at her stillbirth and then um the hero of this book is about the is about her mother um who she lost who she was very close to but they're just yeah they're they're um similar in the sense that i think both are really interested in kind of like the big questions and also not taking themselves too seriously and just really really funny and would be like a great time it'd be one of those dinners where you could slip really quickly between chit chat and kind of the big heavy conversation oh I love this is there anybody else who's coming along I think um I don't know I might keep it to just three I don't like a big because I get overwhelmed (laughs) no and you know what I love it when someone says you know honestly I just want like a couple of people that I would love to meet and I want to be able to talk to them and eat good food and enjoy their company. I'm absolutely here for that. Yeah. And I, you know, I feel like most writers who I've met are actually really awkward dinner companions and their <laughs> characters are maybe even more so. So <laughs> I'd be very selective. That's very fair. Now, the question I usually ask now is if there's anyone who's not welcome to your dinner. And that's probably a tougher question. Yeah. So anyone who's not welcome, I think. I was just rereading. I've been thinking a lot about this question of unlikable characters because Mm -hmm. everyone asks me um, about writing unlikable characters with regard to Teddy and I, I don't think about unlikable characters when I'm writing. I don't think, yeah. um, I don't think I'm writing characters that are so far beyond the pale of like normal human experience yeah. that about what they're, what they're doing, um, and how it's going to alienate the reader. There are a few exceptions to that. I've been rereading Lolita And I think that to me is like, well, that character is so unsettling. I forgot because I've been listening to the audiobook too, which Jeremy Irons narrates. Oh, he's so so perfect for it. That like combination of charismatic and lecherous and um, intellectual and creepy. uh, And there's such a small list of characters where I I actually feel myself kind of like physically reacting to being in their head one of them most of the time I'll I'll go I'll go there um that's and a it's no a really I also point. agree that would that no yeah. <laughs> no for sure <laughs> no oh my goodness but again a sign that a character I mean it's a tricky one but a sign that someone has written well when you have that visceral response and yes, I love Jeremy I Irons but I'm picturing that now and it makes me feel uncomfortable yes and I definitely had to walk away at points like okay I need to come up for air a little bit and you know back to my life um but yeah to me that's what an achievement that I'm, I mean this is not like a deep cut but like what an achievement that book is on the basis of the fact that it's so unsettling yeah and also well done Jeremy for nailing that because not a comfortable book to be doing the audiobook of at all no and it's so long I mean he must have really been in that for I don't know 14 hours or something oh my goodness well look before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your day I have to ask if you're reading anything amongst all the publishing chaos are you reading anything at the moment yeah so I just finished um 
Lindsay Hunter's Hot Springs Drive, Ooh. which incredible. It just came out last month, I think, maybe two months ago. Um, and it is also kind of a domestic drama slash thriller. Um, and it opens with this murder of this um housewife. And then you kind of backtrack and you see her friendship with the woman who lives next door to her and they're kind of waxing and waning um Mm -hmm. marriages and it's it's so huge in scope and so efficient like it really is a kind of slender little book um but you hear from all four of uh one of the neighbor's sons you hear from the other neighbor's daughter the husband's like it is this sort of chorus of all of these voices um, and brings you up to what happened, you know, to incite this murder and then past that. Um, and to me, it's what thrillers can do when when you um, get a little bit flexible with the genre. Like it is a way of looking at um, people's lives and anxieties. It's not necessarily like a who done it so much as it uses the lens of this one act of violence to think about the way that all of these characters had been feeling kind of desperate and estranged um all along I'm so yeah it's my list you're describing it and i'm like as soon as we're done i'm gonna be like googling it i this sounds amazing it was am- and beautifully written just like incredible one of one of those books where i was like i wish i wrote this book there's also this subplot where the two moms who are kind of at the heart of it, um, they join like a alternate universe Weight Watchers. And there's a lot of stuff around weight and food um, that I don't see in fiction a lot, but I think is such a big part of a lot of women's lives. And it was rendered impeccably, like just so interesting and complex. Um, so yeah, I loved that. I, I just picked up uh, the new Claire Keegan book because I love everything she writes so late in the day. Um, and I picked up um, book the book of Ayn when I was in Ooh. New York as well, which is um, about a woman who is canceled and she moves from New York to LA and seeks like spiritual guidance from the work of Ayn Rand. It's supposed to be very funny. Oh, so okay. Looking for kind of like, fun read reading right yeah, now yeah a little bit satirical it's got a little bit of a yeah I like the sound of that yeah satirical edge and then I have um everyone keeps recommending Larry McBurdy to me who I've never read oh so I've not heard of like, Lonesome Dove is kind of the big, Ooh, the big okay one. but I got it and it's like this big so that was intimidating I got a smaller <laughs> book by him <laughs> maybe in um, chunks maybe just a little bit here yeah. and there yeah so oh I'm going to start reading Cheyenne, I think, which is another one of his books. Oh my goodness. Oh, you're one of those readers who I'm like a one book at a time kind of girl. I can't, I can't flip because my brain is like, where am I? Who is that? I'm Gandalf in Moria when he's like, I do not remember this place. Like that's me. One book strictly, but I'm very impressed because that was a lot of books. <laughs> that's like my, I can like picture it. That's like my stack on my bedside table right now. I probably will get through them one at a time. I know the Claire Keegan one, it's probably like an hour of reading. So I have to have a couple lined up. Oh my goodness. Well, look, thank you so much, Kate. This has been honestly such a pleasure. 
I adored Rabbit Hole. I cannot wait for it to be out. When this episode comes out, it'll be live in the UK. And I think people are going to absolutely love it. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. It was so fun talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Novel Evening. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Please remember to go over and rate, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and check us out on Instagram at A Novel Evening Podcast and over on TikTok under the same name. And we'll see you next week. Bye bye.